You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Scott McNamara. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. I have to apologize first before I begin because there is a message that some of you may have heard before if, you were, if you're a diehard fan and, and like listening to my preachers, which probably is only Tim, if I'm honest. So he's probably the only one who, who, <laughs> who likes to listen to my preachers. I think the rest of you are like not interested. Uh, but uh, this message here has really marked me that I'm going to share with you guys. And I was in Hillsborough, a church in Hillsborough recently. I know some of you guys were there and I did share this message in Hillsborough. But it's one of those messages that's really marked me. And, I, and that's why I want to share it because for me, I get something from it. In, you know, when I'm preaching, I, I also receive something from it. It's something that I think, you know, like Jesus at the door, obviously you guys know about Jesus at the door. And I say the same thing. If you use Jesus at the door, Sonny recently led his 900th person to Jesus through Jesus at the door. Come on, man. Isn't that incredible? Come on. Amen. But, you know, we say when we use Jesus at the door, we say the same thing. You know, we go through this card and it's kind of like the same. And people say, do you not get bored of saying the same thing? And I'm like, no, if you see the fruit that I'm seeing, you would not get bored of saying the same thing. So sometimes it's okay to say a message once or twice if, it, if the Lord has anointed it and if his presence is on it. So that is why I'm going to share this because for me, I get a lot out of it and I believe that you will too. Is that okay? So give me, you give me permission to do that? Okay, great. So I'm going to read to you a scripture that you all know, but I believe that the Lord has given me some real nuggets in this thing that you would not have, have come across before. So we're going to read together, I believe, from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 14. And before we do that, while the guys are getting that on the screen, I'm just going to welcome also Lou. Lou is a walking miracle. Well, he's a, a sitting miracle. But uh, Lou, we want to welcome you. This is Lou's first time in church. In how many, day, how many days were you sick, bro? So Lou's in the hospital 98 days, and he basically, uh, everybody thought he was going to die um, of COVID, but, but Jesus had a different plan for Lou. So uh, many of us prayed for, for Lou and... Um, we were introduced to Lou through Kevin Kennedy, and uh, Lou was part of our new believers group. He came a few times. Um, Aaron came to Jesus actually through Lou, uh, one of our one of our guys. So we're so glad, bro, that you're here, man. And, and you know we were praying for you and and contending, and we're so glad. Come on, the Lord the Lord prayed, uh, the Lord worked when we pray, huh? So thank you for anyone who prayed in this room. We're so glad. His first service since he was sick. So uh, come on, it's a milestone for you, brother. Come on, God is good. Okay, we're going to read. Can we all read this together? In fact, we have a lot of verses, so maybe we shouldn't because it could get messy. I tell you what, uh, yeah, let's read it together. You're for the challenge? Okay, let's do it. Okay, here we go. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And then he broke the loaves and gave it to them, to, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. 
And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain to himself, by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got to the, into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Amen. Thank you, Sonny. I think he was the only one who kept up with me. Everybody has dropped off verse by verse. It got a little quieter. But thank you, H-Bomb, for keeping, uh, keeping with me, brother. Okay, I love this scripture. Now, I don't have time to go into it all, but I'm going to touch on some of uh, the parts that have really marked my life about the scripture. Who loves the Word of God? You guys love the Bible? Come on. So I'm just going to pull out a few of these nuggets and a few of these verses that the Holy Spirit showed me because I believe this is very, very profound and it is more than just a, a Sunday school parable or passage that we, uh, that we uh, refer to when we read this. Now, I want to tell you this. This is the only miracle in all four Gospels, that, uh, the only miracle that is in all four Gospels. What was it that the Holy Spirit in his infinite wisdom thought that this, why did he think that this should be canonized in all the four Gospels. What is so important about the feeding of the 5,000? So I want to pick it up here from verse 15. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. When it was evening, now what happens in the evening? Everything feels a little bit more scary in the evening. I know when my, when my kids were young and they got sick in, in, in the nighttime, it kind of feels more scary or something, you know? Why can't they ever get sick in the afternoon? They always get sick like two in the morning. They can't breathe. They wake up and panicking and whatever. But, you know, but things feel more, more scary in the, in the nighttime. It's dark. It's gloomy. It's quiet. And this is where, this is the, the scene that the disciples were in. It was night. It was dark. It was evening. And they had a problem. And they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, we have a problem. We need your help. How many people have ever been in a situation where they're like, God, I need your help? We have a situation that we need help in. You know, we've all been in that situation. You guys are here in the Promised Church in Longview. I'm sure we look out the windows. There's a lot of help needed in Longview. Amen. There's a lot of people's lives who need to be helped, need changing. I, uh, I was just with Jeremy recently. We were hanging out and, and he'd shared how, you know, that, that in, a, in a typical new believers group, there's a lot of need. You know, there's people who have needs. And we were just talking, you know, he's had a dream of having like a fund where you could just take care of people's needs. You know, how amazing would it be to have people with needs and just be able to say, hey, here's a place for you, here's clothes for you, here's food for you, here's a car for you. You know, it would be incredible, huh? So we have a lot of needs. So the disciples had a need. They're like, we've got all these people. No, it was more than 5,000 people. It was like 20,000 because women and kids like to tag on to husbands. So there was, a, there was women, women and kids there too. So there's all these people and the disciples panic. They're like, these people are all hungry. They're not going away. What are we going to do? Now, they don't feel that they can do anything. So they say, Jesus, please, I, I need you to take care of this situation. Now, we do that often, don't we? We pray and we say, God, fix my problems. Take care of this. Sort that situation out. And we just go to God and we let you, you deal with it all. Yeah, we don't want to have any involvement. We'd rather you just take care of it. And that's where the disciples were. They were like, Jesus, there's a need. I need you to fix it. 
So Jesus says to them something that they didn't really expect. He says, well, why don't you take care of it? And they were like, well, how can we do that, Lord? We, we got nothing. We can't feed them. Jesus immediately put the prayer request back to them. Often we're praying for people and we're the answer to our own prayer. You know, we're praying, Lord, take care of that situation or would you deal with that? And the Lord's like, yeah, I'll deal with it if you go and deal with it. If you move, then I'll, I'll answer your prayer through you. So the disciples, they go, Jesus, help us. Jesus says, okay, what you feed them. What do you have? And they say, we've got nothing, man. We've only got the sack lunch, the five loaves, the two fish. Jesus is like, that's okay. Just give me what's in your hand. Whatever's in your hand is enough. So they come and they give the little that they have. Now that's not much, huh? Five loaves and two fish. But for Jesus, it's okay. Because he's very good at making a lot out of a little. So he's like, just give me what you have. And he takes it, he breaks it, he makes it multiply to feed 20,000 plus people because that's what Jesus can do. He can take your little and multiply it so that anyone who's hungry can be fed. So Jesus feeds everybody with their little that, he, that, he, that they gave them. And this is obviously a big miracle in itself. Like how can everybody be fed? But the disciples then took what Jesus gave them because Jesus said, no, go and give it back to them. So he took it from Jesus and then he, the disciples distributed it. They didn't say, Jesus, you know, you just take care. Uh, Jesus didn't say, I'll take care of everything. He said, you are going to work with me together in partnership. We're going to solve this problem. And it's beautiful to see because often we want Jesus to fix it all. And we don't want to be involved, you know. Longview, everybody in Longview, I wish they would get saved. I wish they would come to the Lord. I wish they would come to revive new believers on a Tuesday evening. But the Lord's like, okay, well, well, why don't you get off your bums and go out and see them, go and meet them, go and knock on their doors, go and uh, stop them in the grocery stores, whatever it takes. Why, there's enough people in this room right now. If we all got active in sharing the gospel, I'm sure like we could see all the seats filled here. huh? But the truth of it is, is that we'll, we'll have the prayer meetings and we'll have the, the quiet times and we'll be like, God, deal with it. Take care of it. Fill my church. Change people's lives. And the Lord's like, okay, let's do it together. What do you have? Well, I'm, I don't really have a whole lot. I, I've never really shared the gospel much. I did it one time 20 years ago. Nothing really happened. That's okay. Just give me what you have, but I don't really have time. I'm full-time worker. I've got, I've got my kids. I'm a single mom. I've got so much going on. I don't have the capacity. That's okay. Just give me what you do have. Do you have five minutes? Just give me that. And what I'll do is I'll take it from you. I'll break it and I'll multiply it. So this is what happens. So everybody gets fed. And then Jesus breaks it, blesses it, gives it back. And then we, you guys know the story. This is the key part that I want to share. We end up with 12 baskets of leftovers. Now, they didn't have very much bread and fish to give. However, there were 12 baskets, 12 big baskets of leftover food. That's a lot, huh? From five loaves and two fishes. What is Jesus trying to signify? Why were there 12 and not 10? There were 12 because I believe this. I believe Jesus was saying one basket for every disciple. And one basket for every disciple, no matter how much they gave, there will be an abundance of leftovers. doesn't matter how much. Peter's got a crumb of the, you know, let's say, let's say we distribute the five loaves and two fishes between the 12 disciples. Peter's got a little crumb here. Uh, uh, John's got a little bit, the, the tail of the fish. They've all got little bits. But what Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter how much each of you had. All that you've got to do is bring it to me. I want to multiply it. And I promise you this. At the end, every disciple will have a basket of leftovers. 
That means nobody's exempt. Every single person sat in a chair right now. You may say, hey, that's your job, or you're good at that. I'm not very good at that. But I want to tell you this, and I want to put the challenge out to you. If you will take God at his word, and if you'll give the little that you have, and say, Jesus, I don't have much, but I'm going to give it to you. He'll break it, he'll take it, break it, and make it into more than you could ever hope, think, or imagine. I promise you. However, if you don't do it, it won't happen. Now, I'm not just talking about evangelism and sharing the gospel. Mainly I am, because that's, uh, I'm an evangelist. But I'm talking about other areas of your life too. What if you're a, what if you're a wife who's, got, who's married to a husband who doesn't believe in the Lord? What if you're praying for your husband for many years? God, bring my husband to you. What if you're the... What if you're the one who could be the answer to your prayer? You're like, God, would you save my husband, please? You're crying out to the Lord in prayer. That's wonderful. Keep doing it. But maybe not just cry out in prayer, but maybe take the little that you have, give it to Jesus in partnership, let him break it, multiply it. Whatever area of your life that this resonates with, the principle is the same. Just give him the little you have and he'll do something wonderful with it because this is what he does. This is the God that we serve. Okay. Is that good? Does that make sense? I'm going to read you guys a story after, testimony story after, which is going to blow your mind. But it's to do with what I just referenced. It's to do with a lady who prayed for her husband for 18 years. 18 years she prayed for her husband. But you know what she didn't do? She didn't take the little crumb that she had and she didn't say, here go, Jesus. Multiply that. Jesus gave it back and then she... She used it. What she did, she stayed praying alone. Now we got to, as Reinhard Bonnke says, yeah, we pray and we preach. You got two legs, you pray and you preach. So we're going to move with both legs. We don't just pray and we don't just preach. We're going to do both. So this lady prayed for 18 years, but she never preached. And then one day she realized that even the crumb that I have, God can use that. And then something wonderful happened. But I'm going to share that with you guys at the end. Okay, I want to take it down to verse 22. Verse 22. The miracle had just happened. This is miracle number 19. Everybody say 19. 19 miracles chronologically had happened. 18 miracles previous had happened chronologically in the order of Jesus' miracles on earth. The disciples had been privy to every single one. Number one was water into wine. We all know that one, huh? Everybody loves that one. So water into wine was the first miracle that Jesus did. Fast forward to number 19. Here we are at number 19. The miracle of the loaves and fishes. The miracle is just finished. It's a beautiful miracle, an incredible moment, and it's over. And what happens? Jesus says this. We read this. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat. Everyone say, he made. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat. What do you mean immediately? Like the miracle is just finished. Can we not just enjoy the miracle moment a little? Like, Lord, what do you mean immediately? You know, it's just the moment's just been done, yeah? The 12 baskets are here. I'm sure the disciples were sitting by the 12 baskets just like in awe of what God had done. Maybe they were taking out some bread and fish and, you know, waving it around. But uh, maybe they all sat next to their own basket. Wow, look at my basket. And everyone was like proud of what they had. I mean, that was a miracle, huh? So everyone's enjoying their miracle moment. And Jesus comes along. He says, lads, what are you doing? Get up. Forget the baskets. It's time to move on. Move on. Get in the boat and go to the other side. And they were like, no, I want to I just enjoy my moment a little here. Huh? This is like a miracle moment. This is monumental. I want to just lavish in it. I want to just bask in it. People like to bask in their basket moments. 
People love to bask in the baskets. I want to just stay a little longer. Please, can I just stay a little longer? I remember when I was, um, I, I went to a, a songwriter's retreat in England. It was, the, it was the monumental moment for me when I realized I wasn't a songwriter, I was an evangelist. I've been resisting God for many years in, uh, in my walk as a believer. I didn't come out the spiritual womb crying to be an evangelist. I actually wanted to be a musician. That was my desire. So I, I'm a musician and the Lord's nudging me and saying, I want you over here. And I'm like, no, I think over here, Lord. And I wrestled with the Lord. I didn't say I want to be an evangelist. I wanted to be a songwriter. And I remember the, the, the kind of nail in the coffin was I go to this song. I was invited to a songwriter's retreat by the Vineyard Church Movement. It was all songwriters. And I went along and this was the moment where I realized, man, this is not who I am. I got on the train. I was about to, I was nearing to the station in England and there was a, a couple of lads. They had like gold chains, bulldogs, and they were smoking weed and, and, you know, rough around the edges, tattoos. And I remember them getting off the train and I got off the train and I'm thinking, I want to speak to these guys. So the others left and one sat down and he's rolling his joint and, uh, and he was on, on the floor, sat down. And I went over to him and started sharing with him as I was waiting on my taxi arriving. I just called the taxi. So go over, I share with the guy. He's rolling a joint. He had a, a stitches from here to here on his face. He'd just been glassed in a bar fight. Someone put a glass in his face and it was like very raw like five days ago. So uh, I said, what happened to you, man? And he's like, man, yeah, somebody glassed me in the face. I'm in constant pain. So I prayed for his face. I'm like, can I pray for you? He's like, yeah. So he's there rolling the joint. I said, you know, out of respect, could you put the joint away? You know what I mean? So he's like, yeah, no problem. So he stands up and I start praying for the guy. As I'm praying for him, he looks at me and he's like, whoa, this is crazy, man. He's like, I don't feel any pain for like, since for the first time. He says, I haven't slept in days because I'm in so much pain, I can't even sleep. Um, so, but he said, I, I don't feel pain anymore. I feel like I could go to sleep. I'm like, that's beautiful. Now I'm going to pray for your heart because there's no good praying for a body that is temporal when he has a sick soul that is eternal, huh? So I said, can I pray for you to feel Jesus? And, and I began to share the gospel with him. And as I prayed for him, he began to cry. Now I'm talking, this is a rough dude outside a train station with a lot of people going around, walking, you know, a, a lot of noise, a lot of distractions. But he's touched by the power of the Lord and he starts crying and he gives his heart to Jesus right there and then. His name was Adrian. I got his phone number. And as I got his phone number, my taxi arrived. So I get in the taxi. And man, do you know what? I'm in that taxi and I'm just like basking in my basket moment. <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm just like, I'm just like, this is incredible. Like, look at the, the abundance that God did with, with the little I had. You see, I didn't have Jesus at the door back then. This is an old story. I didn't have Jesus at the door. So I, I just kind of fumbled my way in, through the dark of sharing the gospel and, and stuff like that. But the guy got saved. And so I was just in awe of it. I, I wasn't seeing that many people saved at that time in my life, you know? Because again, I was a songwriter. I wasn't looking to be an evangelist. So this was quite new for me, but I'm basking in it. I'm like, this is crazy. I, I didn't see that coming. And I'm in a taxi on the way to the songwriters retreat. And I'm just like, man, this is beautiful. And then the taxi driver starts talking to me. And he's like, how's your day going? Yeah, great. Yeah. And I'm just like, just, I'm just thinking, just leave me alone. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to enjoy my moment. And he keeps going. So then I'm texting uh, my, my wife to tell her what happened. Cause I'm like, this is, I've got to like share it. You know, when something beautiful happens, you want to tell somebody. So I'm texting my wife and, and he's like, so uh, where are you heading? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to this songwriter retreat and I'm trying to get on and trying to shut this guy up. I don't want to talk because I'm basking in my moment. But then he starts telling me that he's got a bad arm. And I'm like, oh no, because I can't bask anymore in my basket moment. Because he's like, you know, I've got, I've, I've got a sore arm and, and all that. So I'm thinking, okay. So I put the phone away. I didn't want to put the phone away, but I put the phone away. And I'm like, what, what happened? He said, yeah, I damaged my arm. So I prayed for the guy's arm. 
We get out to the songwriters retreat. We arrive at this big plush like castle type place. And uh, I get out and the guy's like swinging his arm. And he's like, man, I don't feel that anymore, bro. This is crazy, man. And, and then they open the door. The, the songwriters open the door to this fella like doing this. And, and we're all like excited. And these songwriters are like, who is this guy? Because I wasn't very well known like the other people, you know. So, so I'm like, I'm here for the songwriters thing. So they bring me in. I walk in that door and they're all eating their dinner. And I'm just like at this ball of energy. Man, I was at the, the train station. This guy got glassed. He got born again. He was crying. Then the taxi fella, he got healed. It was crazy. And they're just looking at me like, who is this crazy guy? Now, I'm not saying musicians can't be passionate for Jesus. It's just these ones weren't very much so in the area of evangelism anyway. So they're looking at me like I've got two heads. Like, who are you? And, but then I realized through that weekend that the Lord was showing me that this is not who you are. You, you're, you're different to these people. I've marked you in a different way. I don't want you sitting in a room writing songs. I want you out in the, in the trenches rescuing people. But I realized in that moment, what we can do is we can get caught up in our basket moment. But we've got to move on. So Jesus says, get in the boat and go to the other side. What was on the other side? People. Hungry people. So the 19th miracle, the disciples were, were involved in. 18 before, they just watched. 19, okay, that's your turn. Now, how many miracles do you need to see in your life before it will become your turn? How many encounters do you need to see God do? How many people's lives do you need to see change before you'll say, actually, do you know what? I need to get off my bum and I need to start doing something myself. You see, there's so many miracles that God will allow you to watch before he says, now it's your turn. And when, it, when we begin to move, we will see the power of God. Now, what is beautiful about this here is that he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him. Everybody say before him. So Jesus didn't say, okay, guys, we're off to the next place. Follow me. And then they all go off in the boat together. No, Jesus is like, no, no. You saw 18. Okay, this is 19. You were involved with, with this one. You were involved in this one with me. Remember, you gave your little that you had and I multiplied it. And, and everyone was fed. Okay, you've, you've been involved. You've seen it. You've been part of the miracle. When God does a miracle through you and you're involved in it, man, that changes everything. If you see, has anyone ever seen a miracle that they've been involved in part of the miracle? Like God has used you to produce a miracle. Let me just clarify. Salvation is the greatest miracle of all. So if you've ever led anyone to Jesus, then, then that includes you, huh? So when you're in the, involved in the miracle and you're part of it, it, it lifts your faith. So not, number 19, miracle, Jesus didn't need to lead them anymore. The other 18, he led the way. 19, now, now you're on your own. I'll see you there after. You, you go for it. I'll meet you there. So he says, get into the boat and go to the other side. So they leave. There's only one boat, by the way. They take that one boat and they go and make their way to the other side. Now that conversation on that boat would have been a very exciting conversation. That would have been a car. I would like to be a fly on the boat in that conversation. Like imagine what they're talking about. Man, did you see the way Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it? Did you see the way like the baskets were empty and then they were full and every one of us had a basket? I mean, imagine the conversation in that boat. Like that would have been like a faith-fueled conversation, yeah? You see, that is the purpose of the boat. It is meant to be like that. You get together in the boat. The boat is the church, by the way. We come in the boat the boat serves a purpose. The boat will take you from point A to point B. It was never about living in the boat. Nobody, the, the boat was not it. You come into the boat to take you from point A to B. You get in the boat, you get refreshed. 
you get inspired. You share your stories with one another. Look how God did that. Did you see how God did that, Sonny? Wow, it was incredible when the Lord did that, man. Look at when we knocked on Lily's door. She was a stranger. Five minutes later, she's weeping and she's born again. Wasn't that incredible? And we come back to church and we share the story with other people. We testify from the front of what God did in people's lives, yeah? That's the boat. But where's the boat going? It's going to the other side. What many Christians want to do is just stay in the boat. But Jesus said, go to the other side. So they move. The boat begins to go. And then what happens? Jesus goes up the mountain to pray. So Jesus is up the mountain praying. The disciples are in the boat. And then the storm comes, the great swell. Now, Jesus, did he know the storm was coming? Do you think? I want a bit more of an assertive answer than that. Does God know the beginning from the end? So of course he knew the storm was coming. Yeah. So Jesus knew there was going to be a mother of all storms, but he still sent them into it. He's like, I'm sending you into the storm, okay? They didn't know it was coming, but then they get in the middle of it and they're like, okay, this is bad. Now they were fishermen. Fishermen are used to storms because it's their bread and butter, it's their daily life. It's like, it's like Jeremy going, turning up and doing a landscape field garden and, the, and it being the biggest one he's ever done. Yeah, he knows how to landscape gardens. Do you call it gardens? Fields. He knows what he's doing, yeah? It's like, it's like, uh, <laughs> I don't know much about landscaping. It's like my amazing friend at the back there, Justin. Justin does wall, what do you call that thing you do? Drywall, drywall. Justin, Justin fixes walls and puts dry stuff in them. So when he does that, he knows, how to, he knows how to put a wall together, yeah? So it doesn't matter how big the wall, he knows how to do it because he's done it many times before. The fishermen know how to fish. They're used to storms. However, this must have been a crazy storm because they're freaking out. This storm comes and they're like, we're going to die. We're going to die. This is very, very bad. This is the kind of storm they've never seen. I mean, I would be thinking, Jesus, why did you send us into this? You knew it was coming. Could we not have like, you know, had a night by the campfire, basking with the baskets, and then we go tomorrow, tomorrow morning? But no, Jesus is like, you're going right now. You see, Jesus sends them into the storm. Why? Did Jesus create that storm? No, he didn't, but he used it. You see, you got disciples like many in this room, and we're like, man, God, I will change, I want to change the world for you, Jesus. Just give me a platform, give me a microphone, give me a, a, a position, and I'll change the world for you. And the Lord's like, will you? You, you want to do that? Okay, great, let's go. And then he puts you right into a storm. And then you're like, whoa, whoa, hang on. I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, you actually did. You said you want to you change the world for me, so I'm going to have to change a few things inside of you first. So I'm going to put you into the storm, and in the storm, I'm going to make sure that all that stuff that's in you that isn't so good is going to come out. I'm going to craft your faith in a way that, that, that no storm, without a storm it wouldn't have happened. And they're in the storm and they're like, Jesus, where are you? And they're really freaking out. Where is Jesus? He's at the top of the mountain praying. Now I can think of other places I would like Jesus to be if I was a disciple in that moment. I'm like, Lord, come on, praying right now? Like I need you in the moment with me. I need you right by my side. I don't want you praying, I want you with me. Now where Jesus was praying, his prayer station, the top of the mountain, scholars believe that it gave him the perfect vantage point to view the Sea of Galilee and where the disciples were based. So he wasn't just taking five and having a, a cup of tea and a hobnob. That's a biscuit where we come from in, in England. He wasn't just chilling out. He was like watching. He's praying. He's interceding for the disciples on the boat. Yeah. He's not just taking five. 
He's involved. However, Jesus wasn't scared. Lou was in hospital and, and, and Lou shared a vision with me, which is, I can't shake it. It's beautiful, bro. What, you share me this vision, this vision what Lou had. And it's just beautiful, beautiful vision uh, about the, the devil trying to bargain for his life on one side of the room and, and the Lord on the other. It was a beautiful picture. Is it okay for sure? Yeah. And, and it was really marked me, you know, but he said like the devil was sat there on once in his, it was like in his hospital room kind of thing, wasn't it? In a room. The devil's on one side, like a druid had the big, the big hood and the, the long sleeves with the long fingernails dirty. And on the other side was, was the Lord. And he had a hood up, but you couldn't see his face because of the glory of God. You couldn't see the devil's face because of the darkness, but you couldn't see the Lord's because of the glory. And then the devil began to say, I want, I want Lou's life. What is it he's, you heard? And then you heard the voice of the Lord say what? Come on. And then, he walked, and then that was it, finished. Come on, isn't that beautiful? So this situation, the devil is throwing the, the storm at them, yeah? And the Lord is up here. And all Jesus needs to say is he's mine and the storm's done. But he allows it. He doesn't send it, but he allows it. There's some storms that we go through in life and he allows it. Because if you'll hold on, you will get to the other side. What God is going to do through this man is going to be beautiful, I believe. Because he held on. But you know, there's a moment that comes and he steps down from his prayer station. He steps down from the mountain. He says, okay, that's enough. And he comes walking on the water to the disciples. There's a moment that comes in our lives when Jesus will intervene. There's a moment that he says, okay, enough, Satan, enough, be quiet. He's mine. And he'll step in and it will be done. But when we get to that moment, are we prepared for the Lord to meet us the way that we think he's going to meet us? Sometimes we don't believe he can meet us in our storm. So Jesus comes walking on the water and the disciples are freaking out. He comes and they say, what do they say? It's a ghost. So like Jesus is walking, they're like, it's a ghost. Peter's like, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. Not only are we going to drown, we're going to get slimed first. You know what I mean? They're like, it's a ghost. This is really, really bad. This is, I'm going to get eaten by Slimer and then I'm going to drown. This is like, it could not get any worse right now, you know? And he's freaking out. Why did they not believe it was Jesus? Because they'd never seen him do that before. You see, God wants to do some things in your life that you've never seen him do before. But we don't have faith to, to trust him. So he comes on the water and, and Peter says, that's not you. And Jesus says, yes, it is. He says, I don't believe it's you. If it is you, Command me to come out onto this water and walk on the waves. So Peter's feeling really good about that. He's like, that's a good test. You know, if it's the Lord, he'll tell me and it will happen. Okay, I command you to come onto the water. So Peter hears it. He gets permission to, to walk. Permission for a miracle. What does he do? Sorry, Lord, I can't really hear you over the waves. Can you speak up a little? It's very loud here. The wind and the waves in my ear. Did you say, yeah? Was that a green light, Jesus? Yeah, come to me. I still, I'm struggling. Can you confirm the confirmation? I'm still struggling. I'm really struggling to hear that it's definitely you. Are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, come to me. Now, Lord, I just want to make sure because this is a big deal. Before I take the first step, you know, recently I've been drinking a lot of wine at Shabbat. I've been putting the beef on a little. Are you sure? Are you sure that it can hold me? I mean, this is impossible. Are you sure it's going to hold me? Jesus replies, of course, 
It is impossible, you idiot. But I will hold you because I'm the God of the impossible. Step onto the water. So he goes, he does it, and then he's like, whoa, this is working, yeah? So he begins to walk on the water. And then we all know the story. He takes his eyes off the Lord and he begins to sink. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful moment that Jesus met the, the, the disciples in their storm, but they didn't recognize him. We often can miss Jesus the way he wants to come into your storm. And we don't want to, we don't see it because we don't play our part in it. You see, Peter had to play a part in that miracle. He could have stayed uh, on the edge on the boat and said, just keep confirming it to me. And then the Lord will confirm it so many times. And then they're like, look, they're not listening anyway, huh? So Peter had to move. Did you notice only Peter moved? Nobody else. Out of all those disciples in the boat, no one bar Peter was willing to take that step of faith. Only the one. Now, they all like to critique him when he gets back in the boat. Oh, well, if it was me, I wouldn't have done that, bro. No, no. No, you see, where you went wrong is, is you looked to the left instead of the right. Yeah, you took your, if you had to, like, took, looked at him a different way, you wouldn't have sunk. No, I'm telling you, if I did that, that's the way I would have done it. Did you ever try and walk on? Well, well, I haven't yet, but I mean, if I would, you know, that's the way I would have done it. And there's lots of disciples in the boats, in churches all over the world, who like to tell the people who are walking on water, and then when they sink, they like to critique them and tell them what they should have done. Instead of maybe just getting out themselves and having a go, huh? When they get back into the boat, this is what we read here. It says this. Verse 32, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. When Jesus gets into your boat, the storm will cease. But often he's calling you out first. Because there is a lesson that can only be learned in the storm. Would you be willing to step out of your boat and meet him there? Can I read you guys the, uh, the story that I was sharing with you? It's a very beautiful story that just came through. Um, recently, I had a, my, my mother, she called me a couple of months ago. And she said, Scott, I was out walking with my friend. And my friend brought another friend. And she told me this story. And I was just could not believe it. She said, you're uh, a Scott McNamara's mom. He spoke at my church in 2019 in England. I was in England in 2019. This is like a couple of months ago. She said, and then she began to tell my mom this testimony. So my mom calls me on a, a FaceTime. And she's telling me, and I'm just like, what? this is crazy. So I asked my mom to ask the lady, would she write down? I want to hear it in her words, not my mom's secondhand words. I want, to, I want her words of what happened. So this is what she, what she said to me. She said this, my husband, Jamie and I, together with our 22-month-old son, moved to Portugal in the year 2000. And I became a Christian in 2002. We went to church for about a year, after which my husband made the decision not to go anymore. He went with me occasionally and at Christmas, at Christmas and Easter. I used to take our son every week, but he never, and he never objected. I continued to pray for Jamie's salvation, and I stood on the scripture, Acts 16.31. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. I remember hearing a story of a lady in my church who would pray for her husband for 16 years before he became a Christian. I can remember thinking how long that was, and I could not imagine having to wait for such that length of time. God led us back to the UK in 2009, and as we left, God clearly spoke to me and said the move was for both Jamie's salvation and that of my extended family. Once back in the UK, Jamie came to church with us periodically, but he never made a commitment. We moved to Bournemouth in 2012, and the same pattern continued. 
I always believed Jamie would come to Christ and I continued to pray for his salvation, as did some of my closest friends. Sometimes I would feel despondent, but God always reminded me of the above scripture verse and what he had spoken to me when we left Portugal. You see, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Why was it so key for Peter to hear Jesus tell him? Because that's how faith comes. You tell me, command me to come and I'll know that I've got the faith to walk. But even when we hear it, we still, you sure? You sure? You sure? We need to trust the Lord, huh? When he speaks, you shouldn't need multiple confirmations. One word from the living God should be enough for you to shift. On 24th of November, 2019, I went to my home church, Coastline Vineyard, where Scott McNamara is speaking about Jesus at the door. I spoke to him briefly before leaving church and I casually picked up a few Jesus at the door cards. Casually means I stole them. Because <laughs> I, never, I never knew. When I got home, I put the cards on the table and proceeded to tell my husband about the service. After I had finished telling him, he picked up one of the cards and asked, what was this? I told him it was Scott, what Scott uses to evangelize and I flippantly asked, not expecting him to agree, why, do you want me to go through it with you? To which he replied, yes. If I'm totally honest, I thought he would stop halfway or not react to the words on the card, how wrong I was. He went along with each stage of the card and then gave his life to Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. I was so stunned at what had just happened after almost 18 years of praying. I couldn't believe it. So I just said, are you ready for lunch? And he said, yes. And we got on with the day without mentioning what had happened. I think we were both wrapped up in our own thoughts of what step Jamie had just taken. We didn't speak about it until the following Friday, five days later. I asked him if he had meant what he had said and he replied, yes. I felt I had no control over the situation and Jesus just took over. It was only then that the enormity of what had happened began to sink in. When you pray for someone for almost 18 years and then God answers your prayer, it takes some adjustment to understand the reality of what he has done. My husband has now been walking with the Lord for almost two years and I can honestly say it has been worth the wait. Waiting for such a long time taught me an invaluable lesson that God does answer prayer, but not always when and how we think he will. I want to tell you this. For 18 years, she prayed for her husband. 18 years of praying, but not 18 years of partnering. You can pray, but what he really wants is partnership. 18 years of praying, and then she takes the crumb that she has, this Jesus at the door card, in the, in, in the grand scheme of things, 18 years with a husband who don't want to follow the Lord, that's a little crumb, a card with a few words on the back in, in, in relation, yeah? She takes the crumb that she has, no experience, never done this thing before. She takes it, she gives it to Jesus. He takes it, he breaks it, he multiplies it, and he makes it into more than she could ever hope, think, or imagine. Feeding her husband beyond the wildest dreams. I want to tell you this, the Lord is crying out for partners in these days. Not just prayers, but partners. Will you begin to partner with the prayer that you're praying? Because that's what he's looking for today. If you're here this morning and the Lord is touching your heart and maybe it is a husband that you're praying for, maybe it's a wife, Maybe it's, man, I need to reach my neighbors. I need to let God do something with my life. When we met uh, Cheyenne, my wife was giving away free furniture. 
and she came to pick up the free furniture. Just a little crumb. It wasn't a great gospel presentation. She came to pick up the furniture. And then we connected and then we invited her to New Believers Group where she came along with Jared, who's now the doorman. Just a bit of furniture that's free. But the Lord can take it. He can break it. He can make it into more than you could ever hope, think, or imagine. Will you allow him? If you're here this morning and you're like, man, I need, I need this in my life. I need God to walk into my storm. I need him to meet me there because I've been crying out for this storm to pass for a long time and I need it to subside. Jesus, would you come? Maybe Jesus has been there for a while in your storm. Maybe you just can't see him through the fog, but he's calling. I'm here. Maybe today you need to say, Lord, command me to come and I'll come. So I want to ask you if this resonates with you, we want to pray for you guys. So I'm going to ask you in a, in a few moments if that's something that's touching your heart and I should have come over to this side and we're going to pray for you. But what I want to share real quick, just a few more minutes, is that okay? Okay, I'm just going to share something real quick. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus in a real way, sometimes we let Jesus in for weekly or monthly visits and then we kick him back out. But he wants the keys to your apartment. He wants the keys to your life. I'm going to share a little uh, parable that the Holy Spirit gave me. And at the end, I'm going to ask you, if you want Jesus, you're going to respond, okay? I want to tell you this real, real short story. There was a lady named Simone. And Simone lived on a street called My Way. She had a husband and two beautiful kids. At the end of the street, there's a, a road that ran parallel, was called One Way. At the top of the hill, shining for all to see, there was a big mansion. This was where Jesus lived. And one day Jesus was out in the community doing a little door-to-door. It was Jesus at the door, for real. And he went around knocking on people's doors. And he was sharing the gospel, doing a bit of outreach in the community. And he knocked upon Simone's door. And she answered and she said, yeah, can I help you? Jesus said, yeah, I, I want to come on inside. She said, Jesus, now's not a great time. I've got a lot going on in my life. You know, busy. I'm very busy. I, I actually don't really have room for you in my life right now. There's so much going on. And besides, I kind of think I have everything I need. So I'm, I'm good. But she did say this. She said, Jesus, I do want you to know I've heard a lot about you. And I really, uh, I really do respect you. I do really believe in you. And Jesus looked Simone in the eye and said, you may believe in me, but you don't know me. Now weeks and months and years passed by and every now and then when Simone would hit on hard times, she would take the walk from my way, she'd cross the road, she'd walk to the top of the hill and she'd knock on those great big mansion doors. She'd go on in and she'd spend time with Jesus. They would drink a cup of tea and have some biscuits and talk about her problems. She always left feeling better after that time with Jesus. But as the weeks and days begin to to, to go by, she always forgot about Jesus and he became an afterthought. And then one day disaster struck in Simone's life. Her husband left her and ran off with another woman. She was all alone with the two children. She began to drink to self-medicate her problems. But soon the alcohol got its claws into her and she began to drink more and more and more and she lost her job. Eventually the, the kids had to go and live with the grandparents because she was an unfit mother. 
she dodged her landlord for months and months because she didn't have any rent to pay him. And one day he caught her as she was coming out the door. He said, Simone, if you don't pay me what you owe me, tomorrow you're out. She begged and pleaded, please just give me another month. He said, no, tomorrow you're out. So she called all her friends and family, hoping that someone would take pity on her lender the money, but nobody trusted her anymore. She was out of options. Then she had an idea. I'll go and I'll see if Jesus has a spare room. So she leaves my way and she crosses the street. She walks to the top of the hill and she knocks on those great big mansion doors. And there was Jesus at the top of the window. Every day he was always there watching and waiting for Simone's next visit. And like an excited boy on Christmas day, he ran down the stairs, opened the door to greet Simone with a great big hug. He said, Simone, I've missed you so much. It's been so long since your last visit. Simone just stood there with her head bowed and she said, yeah, I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm afraid things have not been going good. She said, I have something to ask you. And she looked down at the floor. She said, can I stay with you, please? Jesus looked her in the eye and said, no. She bowed her head and she was even more distraught now. She thought, even Jesus doesn't want me. She said, she plucked up enough courage to ask once more. She said, Jesus, please, I'm begging you. I will sleep on the floor. Surely in this big, great big mansion, you must have some space for someone like me. Jesus stepped forward. He cupped her face in his hands. He looked her in the eye, eyes wide, full of love. He said, no, I want to go to your house. Simone said, no, no, Jesus, that's not possible. She pulled away. She said, you can't go to my house. There are some things that, that, that I've been doing that I'll be so ashamed if you ever saw. And she insisted, but Jesus persisted. Within minutes, they were both walking to Simone's house. Simone sat in the living room weeping as Jesus went into every room, clearing the pornography, the alcohol, the drugs. This place was bad. He didn't hire a cleaner. He did it himself. He got his hands dirty. He went into every single room and he cleaned that place up real good. And Simone sat sat downstairs weeping in shame, knowing the things that Jesus was seeing. Jesus got rid of everything that was dirty and he cleansed cleansed her house and cleaned it up real good. He then went and seen the landlord. He didn't just pay her rent. He bought the deeds to the house. He then goes to Simone who's still weeping on the sofa. He says, Simone, I got some good news. She looked up with tears in her eyes. She said, what is it, Jesus? He says, I don't want you to move into my mansion with me. I want to turn your mess into a mansion and move in it with you. That is what Jesus is looking to do in your life today. He don't care how messy it is. He's not looking for weekend visits. He's looking for the keys. He wants the deed to your house. Will you let him in? I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, I ask you right now, if there's anyone in this room and they don't know you, Lord, if there's anybody in this room that's been visiting you weekly or monthly or yearly, they've been spending time having a, having a coffee and sharing their problems, but then they leave and they go back to their mess. But if there's anyone in this room right now and you say, Jesus, I want you to come on into my life, but not only come for a weekly visit, I want you to turn it into a mansion. I want you to clean up every room that is dirty and I want you to take ownership of my house. If that is you, if you don't know Jesus, in that kind of way that I'm giving you an invitation, I want you to raise your hand in the air. If you're saying, I want to know you in that way, I want to be clean inside in every room. I want to know that I belong to you. I want you to be the owner 
of my house. If that's you, just raise your hand in the air and say, Jesus, here I am. Here's my life. That's it. Raise it high. Don't be ashamed. He wasn't ashamed when he hung on the cross for you. Raise it high and say, Lord, here I am. Here's my life. I want to give it to you. Anybody else? He's saying, Jesus, I'm coming to you. Clean me up real good. Okay, if you raise your hand, stand to your feet. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, guys. Come on. Amen. We bless you, guys. Okay, now what I want you to do. God bless you. Okay, what I want you to do. If if you want to, no, stay standing. If you want to respond to what I said, the first call, come over here. If you're a believer and you're like, I want to respond to what what, what you preached on and what what, uh, the Lord was saying to me. I need breakthrough, whatever. Come over here. And you guys, can you come over here and meet me down here? Okay, let's give these guys a round of applause. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, you just line up here, face me, guys. You just come here, face me. Now turn around, you face me here. I'm just going to pray for you. It's okay. Okay, we're going to pray for you guys. Okay, so just come over here and we're going to begin to pray. If you want to to come forward. Okay, we want to pray for you. Now, Jesus will not come into your house without permission, huh? So we're going to give him permission. So we're going to pray with our mouth, from our heart. We're going to give Jesus permission. Does that sound good? Okay, because he's a gentleman. Okay, let's say it together. Say, Jesus, I open the door of my heart and I let you in. I say sorry for my sin. I choose to follow you. I make you the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me power to live for you all my days. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now we're just going to pray for you. These guys are going to pray for you. We're just going to break some. Thank you, Jesus. So do you want we're going to pray for these guys. Is there any prayer ministry team here? We can pray. Thank you, Jesus. Stand and worship with us if you're out. You, Lord. 